G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Your ambitions uh, can grow, and but you should not, you know, you should not be looking too far into the future. That's my opinion. If you ask me six years ago, will I be, you know, syndicating a four hundred eight unit and raise money in like forty eight hours? I don't even know what syndication was like six years ago, right? So don't think too ahead. People tend to uh, overestimate what they can do in the next six months, but they underestimate how much they can do in five years. I had no idea. Like five Amen. Years. Amen. Yeah. But your ambitions grow. So when you're making more income, you're like, okay, what is the next milestone? Uh, when you're making, doing better, you start seeing further and you feel more comfortable about your cushion, right? Like you have better cushion. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Perry Zhang. Perry is the founder and CEO of the Cashflow Portal, a real estate syndication software, which he's recently just started. Perry has actually started his real estate syndication journey about three years ago, and today he has more than 1,500 units. He's raised over $16 million, and to top it all off, he's the lead syndicator of over 580 
units. His goal is to help other syndicators successfully and overcome challenges like raising capital and finding deals. Perry is also a full-time engineer uh, manager at Lyft, and he's previously worked at Twitter and Amazon. I'm really excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible story with us. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Perry. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Thank you, Ray. Uh, appreciate it. Really happy to be on the show. Well, mate, it's absolutely awesome. And we were talking a little bit in the green room. So you live in Seattle right now? I do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. We're living in Seattle. And I just heard, you, you just heard, you just told me you yeah. successfully just recently left your day job. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. People always congratulate me on leaving the day job. Uh, honestly, it's, it's a bit risk because it's a golden handcuff working in the tech industry. So I actually felt a lot of trepidation of leaving the job, but thank I, you. I, I could imagine it. I could imagine it. We're going to get into that in a little bit more depth a little bit later on. But I start the show by asking all my guests the same question. Can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Good question. I came to America when I was 11 years old. The very first daughter, I felt like that my mom told me that I was kind of smart was that there was this game um, that was played outside of my mom's workplace. And the idea is that if you draw like five marble balls and then if they are all the same color or same shape or whatnot, then you win X amount. If you overdraw more than five marble do- uh, balls, then you, um, you, you do it all over again. So somehow I was able to figure out that if I'm not on the path to achieve the same shape or same color, I overdrew it. So I kind of had the game. So I end up winning it every single time. And they're like, you, you're not uh, allowed to play anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's not a business venture or by any stretch of imagination, but I felt like that was the first time that maybe my mom thought, okay, this kid is kind of smart. So that's, that's, that's the one as a kid. Now, my first actual daughter is actually, you know, after we came to America, my parents had a Chinese restaurant. So I was like, you know, doing everything for the restaurant, you know, like wait, uh, waiter, you know, like uh, cashier, uh, everything. So yeah, um, I technically didn't get paid because I was just helping my parents. So I don't have a salary or anything like that, but that's, I, I was doing some advertising for them and so on. Um, so that's, uh, when I was in high school. Um, and then uh, I didn't work in college. I only do a teaching assistant and a research assistant in college. And that was also a really, really fun time. But my actual daughter is after I left my uh, left college and earned my first paycheck as a software engineer. But, uh, I think the, the thing I bought is an iPhone right after I got my first paycheck. I did not buy a car. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, being growing up in the tech world, I think you have the first thing you have to buy, the rite of passage is buying the iPhone. But, but let's talk about your upbringing a little bit because it's obviously really interesting you coming from, when did you, where did you immigrate from? Yeah, 11 years old. And where did you come from originally? Oh, China. 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 So how was it growing up in America? Very much, it sounds like you had that hardworking immigrant type of family ethic, you know, helping mom and dad with the, with the chores, not getting paid for it. So how did that help, you know, lay the foundations for being well-rounded, being well-minded about financial freedom and, and going off and trying to achieve, you know, the American dream, so to speak? Good, good question. Uh, obviously, this I can go on and on. Um, my parents are very hardworking and it's just being taught. I feel like people are creatures of habit. And if you 
are conditioned to work hard. You just naturally work hard. And so I think I, I work hard. That's like, that's the easy part. I think the part that I was struggling with as a high schooler is how to work smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents were too hardworking. They work like 364 days a year. The only day they take off is Thanksgiving. So every year I know Thanksgiving is the time that our restaurant doesn't open. Um, and so that's the only day they have off. So when I become a software engineer and an engineer manager, uh, hard work was never the problem. Uh, the, the trick is to be able to multiply myself and be able to work smarter. Um, and so I got the my family conditioned myself to just put in the hours and then I learned from, you know, college, a good college and a good uh, companies to work smarter, be more productive. And that's an interesting point because so many people, you know, it's a generational thing, right? And, and obviously a cultural thing. I know growing up in Australia it was very, you know, I grew up with blue collar parents, you know, both high school teachers, they didn't, they didn't earn a lot of money, but they always instilled in me the value of a dollar, right? And always being, you know, to your point is hard work isn't the issue, it's working smart. And so when was that first time that you thought, I need to work smarter, not harder? Ah, uh, yeah, good question. I think it's very similar to your story, actually. So my dad was a high school teacher. He taught geometry and his Chinese uh, history. Uh, the first time I wanted to work smarter was after reading the Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, very similar to your story. And then after listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast, that's when I realized I, yes, I work at a W two job, but ultimately I'm working for myself. And so, you know, I it doesn't mean I'll become lazier at work. In fact, I work harder at work because that kind of doing well at work drives every other part of my life, right? Mm. If I feel crappy that I did a bad job at work, I actually don't feel motivated to work at everything else. Uh, so I learned that uh, uh, pretty, uh, uh, pretty quickly that uh, I would rather be a workaholic and put in like 50 hours at work and then put in 20 more hours on my real estate than trying to say, oh, I'm gonna work like 30 hours pass by and then I will spend 40 hours in real estate. It turned out that psychologically and emotionally that actually doesn't work in my case because mm-hmm. I would feel crappy that I didn't do a good job in the most basic thing. And I actually don't have energy to work on real estate anyway. So, right. um, but that would be, that'd be a lot of your conditioning uh, bringing up in, in an immigrant family, right? Like just having that sense of pride in your work, yes. regardless of what you're doing, even if you want to leave and you have one foot out the door, yeah. you still just want to do a good job, right? And I, I definitely resonate with that. I, I, I was very similar in my W2 job before leaving. It was like, I don't want to burn any bridges, right? I don't want to be viewed as or judged yeah. that I did a bad job because I'm, I'm, I'm goofing off or, or, or I'm you know, making it easy for myself. So I, I definitely assimilate with you in terms of that type of analogy of, of you not wanting to, 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 to ever let people down, I think is, is probably the big thing. Um, but Perry, tell me, Perry, when did the bug of real estate, you, mo- you mentioned Rich Dad Porter, but how, how long ago was that? And where, where did you start, you know, scratching the surface to, to, to want to do more? I bought my first primary residence in San Francisco. It's a condo in San Francisco back in 2015. And so it's only like six years ago. Um, then I caught the bug um, with Rich Dad Poor Dad, tried to buy another house in San Francisco, find that the, the, 
the, the, the numbers just don't work. So I moved back to Seattle and start doing house hacking. So I bought a single family house, have five rooms, rent out the four, live in one of them. And then nine months later, I bought another one. Nine months later, I bought another one and just kept buying. And then over the course of last six years, uh, I have about uh, seven single families. Wow. Um, so that is just something I buy. Um, all of them are house hacking except for two, which are Airbnbs. That's incredible. Well done, mate. That's, and that's a great you know, story and uh, example of people who are listening to this that you can go out and make it happen. So walk me through some of the basic numbers of that house hacking in the early days. Mm-hmm. And again, I guess it wasn't that early because it was only less than five years ago. So was, house prices were still been skyrocketing in, in, in Seattle. But yeah. how did you make that work? What was the sort of rough numbers? Yeah. So the first property... Uh, that I purchased without coming, visiting back to Seattle, just buying it online because I know what Seattle looks like. It's a 415K uh, purchase price. Uh, I did about 10% down. Uh, So I did have to pay the PMI, which is totally fine because the numbers do work. Uh, Each bedroom rents for about $750. Uh, I live in uh, one of them. So four times 750 is 3,000. My monthly, uh, the interest rate is like 3.65% at the time. So my monthly payment is like 2,300 or 2,400, um, mm, uh, like including my rents, if I, if you count that. So I was basically living there, not just for free, but also make like a hundred bucks a month. Uh, that, so is, that is awesome. And then how did you then go to scale it? So what, what, what was the point in which you because you said you did six of them or four of them, like, yeah. I think. Yeah. When did you move to the next one? And then did you sell the first one or you still got it? Um, I th- one of my competitive advantages is I work in a pre-IPO company. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of luck involved as well. Like I have a high income. I'm doing well at my job. Uh, I'm a good software engineer, uh, I hope. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I can keep buying houses almost. Um, now, uh, one thing I think the audience is important to know is your ambitions uh, can grow, and but you should not, you know, you should not be looking too far into the future. That's my opinion. If you ask me six years ago, will I be, you know, syndicating a four hundred eight unit and raise money in like forty eight hours? I don't even know what syndication was like six years ago, right? So don't think too ahead. People tend to. Uh, overestimate what they can do in the next six months, but they underestimate how much they can do in five years. I had no idea. Like five Amen. Years. Amen. Yeah. But uh-huh. your ambitions grow. So when you're making more income, you're like, okay, what is the next milestone? Uh, when you're making, doing better, you start seeing further and you feel more comfortable about your cushion, right? Like you mm-hmm. have better cushion. So uh, in, in my case, you know, the second property, I still bought it. And then the third one, not I just I didn't just buy a single family. I also uh, bought a seven unit with my business partner uh, that we met on bigger pockets uh, in Tacoma. So that's that's our first quote unquote syndication. Um, we um, put together some money from my previous coworker and so on uh, to buy this five hundred forty thousand dollar you know seven unit in Tacoma, Washington. Right, awesome. uh, put in 150k of renovation and then sold it uh, 18 months later for 900k. So they made about 60% return uh, in 18 months. Right, so that gave me like, okay, well, I can, I guess I can do this. Um, so then I went after the bigger properties, uh, a bigger you know, deal, and that's when I realized that, oh wow, I'm like a 
small, you know, fish in a big pond. And these people are doing like hundreds of millions. And so that's when I seek out uh, a mentorship group to uh, further my education and to build that network. So like, but I have no idea about this mentorship group, you know, until then it's only proven by reality and real life that I, okay, this is the next step. So always focus on the next step. Don't focus too far, but then always take that action to get to the next step. That's oh, mate. You said it so well. I think it's, I talk a lot about, I'm, I'm in the same boat, right? I moved to this country 10 years ago. I had no idea. I'd be sitting here on this podcast talking to you about yeah. real estate investing and sit like, and in, in, when I'm 45 and 10 years time, I don't know what I'm going to be doing then. And that's, that's the beauty of you got to let go of the, so sometimes when you have goals, the goals are set with time. And yeah. rather than goals, maybe have targets. You know, so, so, you know, because someone said to me one time, does it matter when you're sitting at 70 years of age with your grandkids, does it matter if you got 2,000 units in 2018 or 5,000 units in 2021? Does it matter to them? And the, the answer is no. The answer mm-hmm. is that it doesn't matter to them. So enjoy the journey and stop stressing about what's going to happen in 10 years' time, which is out of your control anyway. Just do what you can control there. And I love what you said, one foot in front of the other. And it's very much... It sounds like your 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 story is in and around figuring it out. Like you know, you've had to. Your parents moved to this country. They figured it out. They started a restaurant. You helped them. They figured it out. You figured it out getting to to, to university. Mm-hmm. Then you're figuring out about you know education, rich dad poor dad, and then you're getting into your first deal, then second and third deal. And yeah. it's just these incredible stories that I love, and you can clearly tell I'm jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. That people like yourself, immigrants like yourself, like my, myself, they come here and they can make it happen because they're curious. When you're curious about something, you will follow the breadcrumbs and it will lead from one point to another. So bloody awesome, mate. Bloody, bloody ripper of a story. Now tell me, when you got into the mentorship program, what was, why did you need to go down that path of of mentorship? Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not need the education. I'll tell you straight up. Uh, I think we knew how to underwrite. We know the spreadsheets. Uh, what we need is the networking. Uh, we need kind of these like little hints here and there details about who's the best property management company, who's the best contractor, who should I use for due diligence, especially if they're focused in the Dallas market, right? That kind of information is king for us. Um, I probably didn't know that when I went in, I just knew that, okay, I don't have information. So I want to get more information. I don't mind paying for it. The other way that I rationalize myself is we lost the bid on a 20 unit in Seattle. And that was a uh, $3.2 million. We could have paid 3.25, AKA 50K more to win that deal. And and I thought to myself, if I'm gonna pay 50K more, why don't I pay that 50K, 25K each between me and my business partner for a true education and a true network. Someone standing behind our back to, and when we talk to the brokers, we're like, we are part of this program so they can take us seriously, right? So that's one way in terms of money. It's like, if you pay that for the real estate, you might as well pay that for the education. Mm-hmm. And the third one is kind of this uh, network uh, for both KPs, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac has this uh, uh, experience requirements and so on. So uh, just for that network, both investors and co-sponsors as well as KPs. Um, that's also something I didn't really know, um, but I kind of have a hint that that's important. And if it doesn't work, fine. Um, 
I'm not. Uh, I will not be like so sad that that money is nice, but it's not like it's not a big part of my liquidity at the time. So yeah. again, when you have more, you see higher, and you are less worrisome about these like little dollars and whatnot. No, that's and it's a good example of how you've lo- you, know, you lost on a deal, but that you could have won it with the extra fifty k, right? And I'm sure if you had that person in your court at that point, you would have over, not overpaid, but you would have paid that extra 50K. It'd be like, at the end of the day, this is this $50,000 on a $3 million deal is not going to mean anything, right? We're going to sell it for four or five, $6 million in exactly. time. So yeah, so, so important. And then the, the the benefit about being around other people that you can get the little tidbits from, okay, who do you think is the the right property manager or the contractor? It's, it's just so powerful. And that's the beauty of these mm-hmm. networks. And I don't know what it's like in China, but in Australia, we did, I didn't have access to this one. When, like I was not like I, I went to one real estate investing club in Australia, and it just happened to be in my local city. But when mm-hmm. I came here to see these guru, like your gurus and real estate investment associations, and this plethora of of, of networking mm-hmm. at your fingertips, and I'm like, I just need to attend these more, and I'm going to learn something, right? And, and and to your to your point, you've done exactly that. So that's that's freaking that's freaking awesome. Um, let's pivot a little bit here because sure. I want to now talk about your new business, your new venture. You, you have a yeah. tech background. You've obviously been in companies with pre, pre-IPO. Yeah. So what are you doing now and how are you trying to blow that up? And, and, and you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the transition you've just recently made. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking of gaining traction, the company is definitely gaining traction. It's, uh, you know, ask me five years ago, I would never, no idea that I would be building a company right now. Um, it's also the natural progression. Um, we did our first real estate syndication in 2019, and that's 172 unit. Um, and I wanted to build a software for investors to be able to subscribe to a deal with the click of a button that's similar to like instant checkout on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. It should be really fast. It should be legally compliant, and it should be very secure. Like these are the basics. Uh, at the time, the pricing model for the software there is, you know, you have to pay uh, $1,200 a month for a software like that for up to five deals. So if you have one deal, you kind of out of luck. That was the pricing model back then, right? So I said, you know, none of this is really that hard. I can build something like that. Obviously, that's naivete speaking. Uh, (laughs) Um, So I said, I want to do it. Um, But, you know, time passed by. It's been in my mind for a year. And then the pandemic hit. Um, People ask, you know, what's the hobby that you picked up during the pandemic? And my hobby is, yeah, I started a company. That's my hobby. Uh, And... You know, I do want to like pause here and say, like, give credit to like, to luck uh, as well. Like uh, there are like many lucky moments during the pandemic. The first one is because of the pandemic, the stock price was going down. Uh, engineers were freaking out. So I was able to hire some really good engineers at a relatively affordable salary, right? So that's like the part that's lucky. The second part is the first engineer I hired was actually really good. The next 20 engineers that I interview kind of all were not that good. So I got lucky in the sense because if that first engineer was the 21st engineer that I interviewed, I probably have given up by that. Like, oh God, this is too hard. And then the last one is just because of the pandemic, people are not going out. Like pandemic is a very bad thing, you know, for, for society and whatnot. But I do see the silver lining in my case that because I'm not going out and hanging out with friends, I'm kind of forced to be able to have time to work on the startup, 
right? If, if, if at night people are all going out to dinner, I probably will not have that much time. So, mm-hmm. um, so these are the three things that I did appreciate um, that like the opportunity gives rise to the fact that I can create a company. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value add deals, then head over to readgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up and coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to readgoosens.com and sign up today. Now back into the show. It, it, and I love that. And I, I think that's so important to, 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 to pay homage to the lucky moments you have because hiring people and hiring mm-hmm. tens, like, you know, 10 out of tens. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. If you didn't, if you got to 21, you'd be like, screw this. I'm, I'm giving up. <laughs> right. But it was, the, it was the first person out of the gate. Um, I'm really intrigued about software because my whole thing is business ecosystems, right? Like multifamily is the foundation, but having the property management company, having all the other vertical integrations and mm-hmm. now software coming involved with it, which we, as you know, being a software guy, real estate's pretty much in the wild, wild west. Like it is, it is so mm-hmm. archaic compared to everything else we do. So tell me how, how are you competing? Cause there's been a lot of flood mm-hmm. to market of, yeah. The deal room, you know, um, yeah. on yeah. Crowd Street. There's, there's, a, there's yeah. a, a IMS. I think it is like there's so yeah. many right yeah. now in the space. Yeah. How are you trying to differentiate yourself with your company? Because you mentioned some of the things yeah. that I struggle with. I hate paying twelve hundred bucks a month, right? right. <laughs> and particularly for those startup syndicators who yeah. they only have one or two deals. They don't want to pay that much money. So what are you doing to be different? Right. Good question. So. There are many, many ways of saying, uh, answering the question. Uh, one thing I want to say is uh, people think that there are a lot of competitors in the space and that I'm a latecomer. Mm-hmm. I no longer have that kind of fear in the last like two or three weeks. Uh, and the way I explain it is, you know, the syndication didn't happen until 2012 and didn't really become something that's like, you know, people know about it until 2014 and 2015. So it's only been picking up in the last five years, right? Imagine like 1031 exchange and bonus depreciation, all that stuff, right? Like they have been there for a long, like pretty long time, 1031 exchange. So we are still in the very early stages and there are already so many companies competing. That's a good sign. The market is probably in like the second out of the 10 in terms, in terms of its maturity level. Right. Mm. There are a lot of companies, but in the next 10 or 20 years, I think two or three people are going to, two or three companies are going to dominate. So I'm not late. That's the first mindset, which I didn't believe like, uh, like if, if I started a company a year and a half ago, I felt I was too late, but now I actually don't feel like I'm too late. The second thing in which I felt like from a uh, personal perspective is at the end of the day, a building a software company, the hardest part of it is the freaking software. <laughs> and there's honestly, there's a reason that Silicon Valley engineers got paid so much. Right. There's, there's, there are levels to the craft. And I felt like because of my training, things that are, that I think are broken on my website that I need to, I will tell the engineers to fix the next day. It felt like, 
those bugs were not getting fixed at all and were not getting the attention that they deserve in the competitors. So that attention to detail and then fixing things and making it better, it felt like that would take it for granted at companies like Live and Amazon, but it's not being getting the same attention in our competitor. That gave me a lot of hope that one day, if we do a, like if the software is genuinely good and better, at equilibrium, we can succeed. So mm-hmm. that's sort of very meta point there. So those are the two meta points is that it's still still early in the, in the cycle of real estate syndication. And second, that we don't know who will be the winners yet. Right. Um, the, in terms of the concrete points, uh, we are growing 80% to 100% week over week. So we're really, really proud of that. And every customer that has used us has given us growing res, uh, reviews and that it's, it's the easiest software to use. It's very, very uh, easy to understand. All the terms make sense. Well, yes, that makes sense because I spent a lot of time thinking about the conceptual design of the software, right? How, what does it mean to um, like the status, the status, the stages of investment, right? Going from a soft commitment, document signing started to wire instructions sent to, to countersign wire instructions sent and then to wire received. That kind of like whole stages all make sense. Uh, how are we different specifically? Uh, there are a lot of like feature level differences and there are also like company DNA differences. Uh, from a feature level, uh, uh, I, we are, I think we are the easiest to use uh, it speaks to the syndicator. They're like, oh, I get it because that's how I think about each deal, right? There's not a lot of fluff. Um, it's, uh, it's also, um, it has really nice features like uh, the investors can go on there and subscribe within uh, five minutes um, because they, everything is laid out for them. You can export your exhibit A with a click of a button. Uh, you can generate this entire, all the documents as well as the signature pages with a click of a button. You can integrate with your bank account so that you know who has wired the money and so that you don't have to check the bank account, go back to the portal to mark which people have, have submitted their fund. It's so early in this journey that I think there are so many things that we haven't done. Mm. People love the software right now because it's a 10x improvement over the spreadsheets. But there's another 10x improvement to go on top yes. of the existing software. Yes, yes. I, People I, are like, I, oh, I don't want to switch because uh, it's already really good. Yes, it's really good when Gmail first came out. But then <laughs> later Gmail is 10x better than the first Gmail. I'll guarantee that. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because I was um, one of the first beta users of Investor Deal Room, which just was sold. Uh, to Resman, uh, I know the guys over there very, very well, and I helped you know, somewhat as a as a beta tester user and knowing as a syndicator what I need. But there's you know they're, they're, like anything, there was there was growing pains, and and so I'd be interested. We can talk offline, um, but about you know that experience, and you know I'm not a software guy, but I'm I'm a user and I'm a syndicator, so I know I know what I need. To do. And to your point, things should get better, right? It shouldn't just be you don't just settle for oh it works now. We finally spent six iterations getting it to where it is and then we're like oh it's good enough let's let's move on i think iron sharpens iron and you need to always be improving so so it's it's really really awesome what is the name of the company where do people go if they want to listen uh, find out a little bit more about that the company is called cash flow portal uh now that i am full-time um uh it's it's incredible right like i built this software the last a year and a half um 
as a part-time job, basically. Mm-hmm. I was the CEO, founder. Um, we have a team of uh, eight engineers, uh, a total team of 10 people build out that team. Um, they're all like good engineers, um, like CSUM software engineers in uh, North America. And so, so that's really good. Uh, yeah, it's called Cashflow Portal. Uh, it's also the easiest to get started. Uh, you don't have to talk to a salesperson to get started on registering and creating your first deal. Uh, some customers have told us that, you know, I hate it when I submit a proposal, they get back to me three three weeks later with like, oh, here's the link to try it out. Just give me the software, let me play it, and then I'll talk to a salesperson. <laughs> so um, yeah, Hotspot, MailChimp, all work the way that you just sign up, right? Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, Casual Portal, uh, feel free to check it out, check out our blogs. Um, sign up and I will, you know, if you have questions, get in touch with me. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Well, look, uh, as we come to the end of the show, uh, I like to ask, you know, what's the future hold? We spoke earlier about, you know, stop stressing on the, on the, on the big picture. So what, what's it hold for you? I think one of the biggest problems right now that the syndicators have is how do they raise enough money? And one of the biggest problems that I know that my friends have is they have capital, you know, their assets have appreciated, and they honestly do not know how to invest that money for consistent and reliable returns. It's a double-edged sword, right? You think that rich people are have it so easy, but they actually really constantly worry about how to allocate their assets. And the problem is they don't know who are the best indicators. They know me. But I only have one deal once every like a year because I'm not really want to identify myself as a full-time real estate syndicator. That's not exactly my passion, right? I'm good. I'm relatively good at it, but that's not what I want to do full-time. So how do they know who are the best indicators? They can go to people's websites, but what does that website really tell them? Everyone's website looks the same. Who is to say that they have a, a better track record and whatnot? So there's a lot of, need for information and transparency and kind of like almost a marketplace, the equivalent of IMDB for real estate syndication of like checking out who is good and who's not good. That's a very bold move. That's going to unnerve a lot of syndicators. I totally agree with that. But I think that's, you know, 10, five, 10 years from now, I do see there's gonna be a equivalent of the Airbnb of real estate syndication uh, because this is a, still a very young industry. It's only been less, it's been less than 10 years. Uh, so that's why I think that's the trend. Uh, I wanna get ahead of it. Uh, even if I fail, it's okay because I do think that's a real problem. Awesome, I love it. I, I know I completely agree with all that, all you're saying, you know, having a right syndicator and, and, and also, kudos to you, man, for understanding what your strengths are. You, 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 you're, you're in the syndication space. You've done a few deals, but you also know that maybe this is not my, no, not my passion, and that's okay, but I can create systems around it to aid others who are better, right. and that is important. And so, well done for that. Uh, so, yeah, Cashflow Portal. I think it's the cashflowportal.com, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Mate, awesome chat. Uh, at the end of every show, we'd like to get into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's go into it. Thank you. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I have a checklist of all the things I want to do. I don't really prioritize them. I just write them down. So that's out of my system. The other one is I like to walk a lot. I usually walk about an hour after work just for things to settle down and think. Um, that is definitely 
the defining characteristic of of my daily habit uh, walk. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, who question number two? Who's the most influential person in your career to date? I honestly may have to give it to my previous uh, director at Lyft. Um, he is a, he's a direct engineering director at a different company now, but I think so, someone who really believe in you. So in our first syndication, 172 unit, he was actually a KP on that syndication. Mm-hmm. And he was a KP because he knew how I was as an employee, as a manager. And so he really believed in me mm-hmm. and having someone who really believe in you and put like, you know, that much money into your deal that says something that's just like, a lot of people invest in the first deal because he invested. So I owed it a lot to him. Uh, we're going to raise money soon for the startup. And I want to give this opportunity to all the people who, who take the chance on the first deal. You know, first deal is doing really well, like 100% return in two years at this point. Uh, so, so that's good. So yeah, I want to also carry that forward to really believe in people when they don't really believe in themselves yet. And so, yeah. Awesome. Love it. Love it. And it's so important to have that belief early on because getting that first deal done, he knew you personally and and it's such a good lesson. So awesome stuff. Uh, Question number three is what is the most influential tool in your business? When I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a notebook, or it could be a piece of software. So what is it? Besides cash flow portal, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, I use uh, OneNote uh, Mm -hmm. to keep track of my daily tasks. I really like one password to keep track of all my passwords. So please do get one password. Don't like memorize your passwords. Um, I think those are the two tools that I use very consistently. Awesome. Uh, question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career and what'd you learn from that failure? Mm, for real estate, I think one of the biggest parts is we underestimate the renovation budget. Uh, I put in the money to uh, to float the property. And then after we did the renovation, we got the money back. So it was okay. And what I learned are two things is if you really believe in the deal, you just make it work. I didn't ask my investor for like uh, extra money or anything. Uh, and, and now I got all my money back. Um, and second is, you know, be more realistic about the renovation budget. <laughs> exactly. And that goes back to having a good network around you to advise you. Love that, love that, and, and that you, you, you learned from your mistakes. Final question, mate, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They wanna be in your sphere, where do they go? Go to cashflowportal.com or you can email me at perry at cashflowportal.com. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I wanna thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I really just wanna repeat back some of the incredible things that I took away from today's show. Firstly, you know, immigration, immigrant heart mindset, hardworking, down to earth, humble, all those things that I definitely, you know, um, assimilate with you on and, and having, you know, that add on top of the, you know, language barrier as well, which I'm sure that would be even really difficult as coming to, to the United States. But then also being curious about what you want in life. I think that was the biggest takeaway today. You, you're constantly challenging yourself to, to be more, to work smarter, but also not, you know, not give up on your dreams and, mm-hmm. and also be realistic about where you're headed and just take the first step. Doesn't, don't worry about step 10 or 12 or 15, just take yeah. the first step. And, and then back around to what you said about the no fear around a space that I thought was really interesting that you said, you think it's a two out of 10 right now in the online syndication portal. I'm, I'm going to use the word portal yeah. in quotes yeah. space 
because yeah. you know I've had a lot of experience in as well being an early adopter. But yeah. I think it's 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 probably you're probably true. We're we're early in that stage, and having a like a a goal to get to an IMDb equivalent of syndication is super interesting to me. And I, I'm really excited to to see you grow, man. And, and I'm going to watch from the sidelines. But did I leave anything out? No, this is thank you. Uh, I I can see that you are also a very curious person, and that's a really good summary. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, um, man. Yeah. Well, look, again, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up very, very soon. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Perry. Please do go check him out at cashflowportal.com. It's perry at cashflowportal.com for his email. Um, I just, you know, if you have any questions for him, he's such an intelligent guy who's doing a lot of cool things in the space and he's doing it all by himself. You know, he's building something from scratch, which is really, really impressive. Go check him out. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're interested in investing in any of my deals, please head over to readgooses.com and click on the invest with read button. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.